Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you. I just like to look around when I get up here for the first time. and This is the first time I did this morning. Hey, I'm really excited to come and share this message with you this morning. We are in a month-long series on the resurrection, past, present, and future, just like the slide says. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Cameron talked about how uh, Jesus really rose from the dead, like eyewitnesses, all of that stuff, if you remember. And then last week, he talked about that verse where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection. And today, we're going to talk about living a resurrection life, and it's going to be great. My mic feels just a little on the hot side. All right, so um, today, I'm going to use a lot of quotations from my favorite book other than the Bible in the whole world. I'm holding it up for show and tell right now. This is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and it's my favorite book. So I'm going to read you a lot of quotes from that. I'm going to read you a lot of uh, scripture passages, a lot from the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that are now in our New Testament, and we're going to talk about living a resurrection life. But we begin with a question, a rhetorical question. Do you like rhetorical questions? Yes. Yes, you do. Do you like my jokes? Maybe. Maybe not. Time will tell. But you know, this is how I roll. Okay, so let's start with that question. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So despite my joking, did you catch that? Baptism is where we die and rise again, just like Jesus died and rose again. And baptism by immersion, the kind where you go under the water, is such a beautiful symbol of this, because you go under just like he was buried under the earth. And you come up out of the water, a whole new creation. That's the idea that we're going for, to rise again, to walk in a new kind of life, in a new creation life, a resurrection life. I'm going to use all those terms interchangeably, so I thought I'd throw them all in here at the beginning. A couple other places where Paul writes about this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Picking up on this theme, baptized into Christ. Being in Christ means you're a new creation. Paul also talks about it in Philippians. He talks about knowing the power of Christ's resurrection. So belief in Christ marked by baptism is a real stake in the ground moment. I like to use that phrase. I think I know what it means, like a marker in your life. But I was thinking about that. It's more like a you in the ground moment, a me in the ground moment, (laughs) because we die The old us dies and a whole new us comes to life in that moment. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm in him. He lives in me. There's this like, is symbiosis the right word for that? I'm hearing yes. Okay, yeah. So it's kind of like that, I guess. That wasn't in my notes. That was bonus. That was free. So, all right. 
So what is old creation life? Let's just dig in a little bit and define old creation life. This is my definition of it. Life outside of Christ. Remember when Cameron, I think it was last week, was talking about being in Christ. And he said, like, parts sticking out of Christ are in death. It's that idea. Outside of Christ is old creation. It's where that death is. Um, It's where we live for ourselves, where we follow our own leadership, where we live by our own design. We define good and bad on our own terms. That's the old creation life. And we see it in the very beginning of our story as humans. Adam and Eve in the garden do this very thing, don't they? They decide to take of the forbidden fruit so they can have the knowledge of good and bad on their own terms apart from God. And it does. It separates them from God. And they unleash pain and sickness and death on themselves and unfortunately, all of us who come later. But it's the same every generation since. We all take of the forbidden fruit. We all decide to live life on our own terms, to say that our design for how life should go is better than God's, and we follow our own way. My dear friends, that is the very definition of death. Because you see, just like the tree uh, of life in the garden was their source of life, and they were going to live eternally, they were sinless, They didn't have to experience death. God is our source of life. And when we say, I'm going to live life outside of Christ, I'm going to step outside of Christ. Sorry, camera people. (laughs) If you were in the tight shot, I just jumped out. But um, we're separating ourselves from the very source of life. That's what death is, right? The absence of life. That is not a good place to go. (laughs) Paul kind of sums it up in a real tidy way in a a mashup of Romans 3, 23 and 6, 23. He says, all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. We've all done it. We're all in the same boat, just like old Adam and Eve. We've all sinned. We've all stepped outside of Christ. And what we earn for our sin is death. That is a bummer. (laughs) Hang on for the good part. We'll get there. All right, but let's get to our first... C.S. Lewis quote, that was kind of loud. Um, We're going to get to it. Okay, so he's talking about, I just want to preface it, he's talking about Adam and Eve, and then he goes on to talk a little more. So what Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors, think Adam and Eve, was the idea that they could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. There is no other. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. That's why we're going to quote C.S. Lewis a few times this morning. That was really good, right? He said everything I was trying to say so stinking well, didn't he? I love that guy. He's awesome. All right. So let's talk about new creation life. What's new creation life look like? It's getting back to the original design, putting the right fuel in our engine, which is God, letting him be master, letting him be in charge, Refusing to separate ourselves from him, the source of life, and do it our own way. It's life in Christ, isn't it? 
I think you're getting the picture, and I'm glad that you are. Paul wrote about it kind of in another way. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This kind of sets up the choice really good for us, doesn't it? We can follow after our earthly ancestor, Adam and Eve, and we can do it our own way, but we know where it ends, death. Or we can follow our spiritual ancestor, Christ, and be made alive. Doesn't that sound better? Sounds better to me. Okay, so how does new creation life happen? Well, it happens in an instant when you believe. It's marked by your baptism. You can immediately step into Christ. You hear this good news. Remember that verse I read, the wages of sin is death. The end of it that I didn't put on the slide is the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you choose to make him Lord and Savior, you can immediately step into Christ. You can connect to that source of life and have all of its benefits, which there are many. I put a butt on the slide, didn't I? That stinks. No pun intended. <laughs> I really didn't mean to, but I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, the but is this. I have instant freedom, but it takes infinite practice to live in that freedom. I have instant freedom when I put my faith in Christ, but it takes infinite practice to live his way. I've got to learn what he likes and what he doesn't like when I start having a relationship with him. I have to try and fail at doing life his way a lot. <laughs> if you've ever practiced anything, you know what I'm talking about. It takes time, doesn't it? It goes beyond a statement of belief and it becomes how you live. That's the point that I'm trying to make. So this process is called sanctification. It's the process of becoming who he says you are. I love the worship set this morning. I really do. Um, we talked about being a child of God, right? He says you're a child of God. But there's this process of becoming that. You're like adopted in an instant, right? When you believe in him, you're part of the family. Now you've got to learn how to live in the house, you know? You've got to learn how to live as his child. So let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an example from my life from work. Um, I'm an automation engineer. We call it controls engineer, but I'm going to say automation because I feel like you know what that means better. <laughs> um, at Post Cereal in Battle Creek is where I work. So we're, we're a cereal-making factory that sits on 65 acres in Battle Creek, and we make about 280 million pounds of cereal every year. Just imagine like how much cereal that would be if you piled it up. It's a lot, 280 million pounds. That's a lot of Fruity Pebbles a lot of honey bunches of oats, honeycomb grape nuts. We make a lot of your favorite post brands in Battle Creek. I, I'd like to plug them all, but time is short, so we must move on. <laughs> Go to your favorite grocery store and pick those up. So um, we have hundreds of these automation controllers, these computers that tell the machines what to do to make cereal. We have hundreds of uh, operator interface terminals where you walk up and you're like, hey, I want to make fruity pebbles, push a button. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code that's programmed into these things. And uh, when I was hired in July of 2013, that's about eight years ago, um, they put on my business card, 
Bill Menser, automation engineer, post-consumer brands, Battle Creek. And like I instantly became responsible for all that stuff. I was not ready. <laughs> I had some work experience at the time, about 10 years, but I was not ready. Um, I was not ready at all. So uh, in eight years, like I've learned a lot, hands-on experience. I've gone to conferences to learn how other people in the industry do things. You know, and I started to understand what this place is, how it works, how to make cereal, um, how all the programs work. I've built some like processes, introduced new technology that we use that are really beneficial in helping us do a better job of feeding you breakfast in the morning. So some good stuff has happened, um, but I still recognize often when somebody calls for help and I don't quite know how to solve that problem right away, how far I've still got to go. You probably see where I'm going with this, don't you? You probably did from the start because you're smart people. But I'm not there yet. I'm still learning and growing all the time, becoming an automation engineer. And for you as a Christian, if you're a Christian today, it's the same. When you became a Christian, you got this title, child of God, right away, in an instant. But the funny thing is, the bigger the title, the longer the process. You've got a title way bigger and better than automation engineer for a cereal factory. Child of God is a really big title. It takes a lifetime to become that thing that he says you are. It takes a whole lifetime. If you think you're already there, or you've settled for where you've gotten so far, your vision is too small, my friends. I'm an encouraging guy. That feels a little hard to say, but it's true. Don't settle for less. Let's read C.S. Lewis, all right? This is a good one. They all, I've got five of them. All five are really good. This is a good one. No possible degree of holiness or heroism, which has ever been recorded of the greatest saints, is beyond what he's determined to produce in every one of us in the end. The job will not be completed in this life, but he means to get us as far as possible before death. You need a minute to read and think about that one while I take a drink, don't you? Think about it like this. Think of your favorite hero of the faith. Maybe somebody from the Bible, maybe a saint from the history of our, our church family, our uh, Christian family. And think about the stuff they did that makes them a role model to you. You know, like David and Goliath chopping off the head. Like, that's a pretty cool one. You know, think of your favorite one. What that person accomplished that makes them your favorite, God wants to do that and more in you, is what he just said there. Do you believe that? <laughs> I often don't, so I need to hear this. He wants to do that and more in you. Because he wasn't done with David when he chopped off the head of Goliath and won that victory. There was more to be done. There's more to be done in you. His vision for your destiny is so big. It's so big. All right, so how in the world do we start to engage with something that massive? Let's take advice from the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 3, he says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
forgetting what's behind, pressing forward toward what's ahead. He's basically saying, keep on going. <laughs> get after it. Recognize you're not there. I'm not either. And let's go get it. Let's transform. I won't read this whole one. But in Ephesians 4, he says, put off your old self and put on the new self. So what are we going to keep on doing? That Paul says we got to keep on doing and strain forward to do. Put off. I won't take off my shirt. That'd be weird. Take off the old thing and put on a new thing. You'll be more stylish. Just kidding. You'll be the new creation. You'll live the resurrection life by putting on the new self. And we just got to keep at it. We got to keep at it for a lifetime. Also keep in mind that the resurrection power of Jesus is at work in you. You don't have to do it on your own. It's not up to you and you alone to transform. He's at work in you. Going back to Mr. Lewis himself, he said it this way, a real person, Christ, here and now, is doing things to you. It is not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It's a living man, still as much a man as you, still as much God as he was when he created the world, really coming and interfering with your very self. Killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing. A new little Christ. A being which in its own small way has the same kind of life as God. Which shares in his power, joy, knowledge, and eternity. Oh, snap. That was good. <laughs> read this book if you haven't read the book. The whole book is just chock full. And then come talk to me about it, because I like to talk about this book. Okay, moving on, moving on, moving on. Okay, so we're going to keep at it. He's at work in us. Huge vision for us and where we're going, but thank goodness he's helping us along the way. So what does it really look like to put off the old self, put on the new, to be transformed? Um, I told you I'm an engineer. If you've been around for a while, you might be expecting this. Spreadsheets. It's not exactly a spreadsheet because it's in Google Slides, but it's a table that looks like a spreadsheet. There's no calculations. I know, I know. I would have liked that too. Um, but tables. Okay, so we're going to talk about transforming how we act, how we talk, and how we think in three tables. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one excited in the room. Online, yes, I have a hand. Thank you, sister. I see that hand. Thank you, brother. I see that hand. Okay, so the way these tables work, on the left-hand side, which would be this side, is the scripture reference. I'm not going to read them. If you want them, I posted the uh, link to these sermon slides in the friends and family page on Facebook, or I can text it to you after. Take a picture, screenshot if you're at home, whatever. Um, so scripture reference on the left, old creation way of living in the middle, new creation way of living on the right. This is the basics of living the resurrection life, transforming how we act is this first table. So Ephesians 4.28, if you used to steal, you don't steal anymore. You become generous with those in need. Ephesians 5.3, if you used to be sexually immoral, you start living a pure life. Ephesians 5.18, you don't get drunk anymore. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
Romans 13, 5 through 7, we don't cheat on our taxes. I was thinking of the Matrix when I say that. <laughs> if you know the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, instead, we pay our taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Submit to the governing authorities. That's the idea here. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, uh, we put away bitterness and anger. And instead, we live kind and forgiving toward others. I got all echoey there. Okay, that's how we act. How we think, sorry, how we talk is next. Ephesians 4.25, we don't lie anymore, we tell the truth. Ephesians 4.29, we put away worthless and corrupt talk. And instead, the things that we say build up and give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 5.4, we put away foolish talk and crude joking. And instead, thanksgiving comes out of our mouths. And then there's this stuff, it's in James 1 and chapter 3, kind of this whole thing about the tongue and taming the tongue and who can do it. It's so out of control. So the old creation way of living, our tongue's out of control or it's in control of us sometimes and just blurts things. <laughs> the new creation living is in James 1.19. Everyone should be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. All right, how about how we think? Romans 12.2. I just wanted to read that one. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Don't be anxious anymore, but instead pray and meditate on things that are true and noble and lovely and admirable. There's a whole list. And kind of to sum that up about how we think. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, uh, our thoughts are no longer in charge of us. They don't just run wild up here anymore. But instead, we take every thought captive and we make it obey Christ. We filter what's going on up here. We take control of our thought life. Can you see how these three beautiful tables are going a little deeper at every step? How we act happens in the world around us, right? How we talk, now it's in your mouth and it proceeds out. And how we think is going on right in here. So there's one more level I couldn't quite cram into a table. Believe me, if I could have, I would have. But it's, it's this deeper level. I don't even know what to call it. Maybe in your soul, in your heart, in the core of who you are, there's other stuff going on that's deeper than just thoughts. It's related to your thoughts. It's related to your emotions, but it's deep inside you. And what needs to transform in here is, like, you got to find some inner healing, guys. <laughs> this is my experience. Feelings, hurts, disappointments from the past, that linger are hindering your ability to go where he wants to take you. So you deal with them. So they no longer prevent you from moving on, moving forward and upward in that call. People who have hurt you in the past need to be forgiven. You need to release forgiveness for the hurts from your past so that that doesn't burden you. So you don't have to carry that. How are you going to go? How far you got to go carrying a bunch of junk on your shoulders? It's harder. It's harder. The other thing people do, though, instead of carrying the hurt, like, oh, poor me, I'm, I'm hurt from the past. The other thing people sometimes do and don't recognize as the same thing is try to prove to themselves and others that they weren't hurt. That didn't hurt me, and I'll prove it to you. Or they can't hurt me again, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to myself. i got to prove to myself that I'm not uh, still susceptible to what that person did to me in the past. It's the same thing, and it's the same solution, finding healing deep in your heart from God. What about ungodly beliefs? 
This is like not what you think you believe or what you say you believe about God, but it's the stuff that's happening at a deeper level that just comes out when you least expect it. The stuff where it's like, you know, you're taken off guard or in the heat of the moment or that certain type of personality walks into the room and starts doing what they do and stuff starts popping up, you know, or times get tough and stuff starts popping up when you're trying to go through it. Things that might say things like, you're all alone. God can't forgive you. You're such a screw up. You know, you got to scratch and claw to make it in this life and you'll never get ahead. These are the kinds of internal beliefs. Maybe you don't say them out loud. Some people do. I've met some people who actually, they come out of their mouth. <laughs> I worked with a guy years and years ago who, who would call himself stupid when he made a mistake and he was incredibly smart. But it's an example of an ungodly belief. He still believed he was stupid after all he had accomplished and how smart he had become. Yeah, so you know you've got inner freedom when you move in and out of a whole variety of life situations. You go through the stuff and you have peace and you have self-control. You have trust in God. You're not rocked by stuff the way you used to be. Okay, signs that you need that inner healing is fear, anxiety, shame, or that drivenness to prove something to yourself or to other people. If you see those indicators, pursue inner healing. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. That was a movie quote too. Okay, um, how do we make these changes? So do we just like grit our teeth and like just hammer ahead and work at it really hard? No, we engage with the process. We're persistent, but just going after it as hard as you can is not going to solve it. Um, what you need to do is actually easier and harder. And C.S. Lewis writes about it, of course. He says, your real new self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for him. Does that sound strange? Another rhetorical question. I know you like those, so I included this. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you'll never make a good impression on other people until you stop trying to make a good impression on other people. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions, your favorite wishes every day, death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. That seemed really powerful. Have you heard that in our world? I'm, I'm in a season of finding myself right now just truly trying to find myself and my purpose and what, you know, it's like this 
And I don't mean to be down on that. There is an element of like, especially as you are kind of in that young adulthood phase until you kind of settle into who you really are and find out, you know, what, how God uniquely created you. So I don't mean to be down on that completely. But you can't find your ultimate purpose, who you really are, outside of Christ. That's death you. We talked about that, didn't we? <laughs> but in Christ, you can truly find yourself. And actually, the diversity of who we are, our uniquenesses come to light and flourish in Christ. That's where you really get it. I'm nearly tearing up <laughs> because that's a powerful thing to understand. And I think so applicable uh, to our day and where a lot of people are at in our world. So please catch that. Okay. We're getting nearer and nearer to the end of my time. So as we kind of start the wind down, preachers will say, as I, what do they say? In closing or things like, I'm not quite closing, so I don't want to like mislead you, but we're getting close-ish. And so I want to encourage you. Okay, in review, we're going to get in Christ. He's got this vision for us that's way bigger than us to become a child of God. It's a lifelong process. And even beyond that, it's an eternal process of becoming who he says we are. That's a big thing. But we, talk, we kind of hinted at he's at work. He's doing things in us. And I want you to take a moment to encourage yourself with how far you've come. If you've been a Christian, even for a short time or a long time, you can point to things you used to do that you don't do. Those things that were dead you that are gone. They're truly dead. And where new life things have popped up in your life, you know? Maybe it's from one of those beautiful tables. You used to do this, now you do that. Maybe it's something else that comes to mind. But the Lord is speaking to you right now. Something that you can celebrate how far you've already come. That's important so we don't get discouraged along the way. But you might also recognize where you're still a real work in progress. Under construction. Construction zone, right? Here. <laughs> In those places, you can trust that God's at work in you. We said this already, but I just want to hammer it home again. Don't be discouraged when you see old you pop up and do something stupid. Because we all do it. In um, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is basically saying his prayer for the church in Thessalonica, that they'd be sanctified. They'd go through this process of becoming a child of God. And he says... He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. In Philippians 2, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't stop reading there. Because <laughs> he says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that, that little balance right there of engaging with the process, working out your salvation, figuring out what it means, being in awe of God and fear of God and working it out with him. But he's at work in you. I'm in Christ, but he lives in me. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Okay. So I, in closing, <laughs> do you like it when the preacher closes and you're hungry? Yes. Yes, you do. That was the trinity of rhetorical question jokes. If I tell a fourth, I'm out. I'm done. Merely we'll just play the music and come and close. I do one more. Okay, let's read one more C.S. Lewis quote, all right, to wrap it up. I find this one profound and inspiring as well, and uh, I want to close with this. To have faith in Christ means, of course, 
trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you've really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. That's a good one right there. Just pause on that. When you get, if you get down on yourself because you got a long way to go or you just screwed it up, you're not trying to live in Christ to get saved. If you're a Christian, you already believed in him. Point back to that baptism in that moment that you prayed the prayer and you said, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm going to follow you. You're already saved. And now you're trying to live a new life because of that, not to earn it. All right, back to C.S. Lewis. Where were we? Because he's already begun to save you. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. That's how I find that it works. When I live the new creation life, the best is when I'm inspired by the first faint gleam of heaven. When I see something God has done in my own life and I'm like, yeah, let's do more of that. That's good. And I chase that. I did not do a good job of living new creation life when I thought I was trying to earn points with God. Just didn't work. I don't think it works for anybody because it's not supposed to. <laughs> All right. I'm going to leave you with that. Marilee is going to come and close it up. It was, it was a real joy to share the message with you guys today. It has been a little while. I love you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>